Thank you, David. Uh, morning, everyone. Great to see you this morning. Wonderful to worship together, as always. Um, this is uh, this is one of those Sundays where inevitably I'm so aware that everybody you almost can't help it. It's that time of the year where you begin to take stock. Uh, you inevitably begin to think of all that's gone on, all that you'd have loved to have done different, all the things you'd love to have seen differently. Uh, you begin to mull over those things. We almost we can't help it. It's just part of human nature. And uh, so for me, as, I, as for me as I was thinking about Sunday, the temptation for me was to uh, was to go on to Google and uh, find the left hook, the, the, the knockout punch for the last Sunday of the year. So I'll find something, I'll find some quote, or I'll find some extracts of a sermon of somebody that has brought the year to the most incredible conclusion, and everybody can't wait to start the new year. Uh, but for me, as David, as David has shared this morning, I, f- I felt like last year, there was uh, for me, I just was pursuing authenticity. I felt it was a year for me to pursue being authentic. I've longed to do that as I stand before you every Sunday morning. I've longed to do that as I, as I live my life out in front of my wife and my children. And as much as anything, this has been a year where that has shaped my relationship with the Father. Because I made that commitment, God, I'm, I want in this year to be a year of authenticity. I want to be real. And so that, that, that has meant at times this year I have came and prayed and said things before the Father that I never thought that I would ever say. Felt there's times this year where I've felt truly like the psalmist. Felt like, God, I'm just laying this all out before you. I, I don't want to put on any... I don't even know why I would try to put a, put a mask on in front of you. You know everything about me. But this year I committed myself, God, I'm just going to lay it all before you. I want to be as authentic and as real as I possibly can and have pursued that this year. So I'd encourage you to, to take on board what David has shared, shared this morning. And so, and so with that in mind, as I, as I came, uh, as I approached Thursday and Friday, I was like, uh, God, I just want to be real this morning. I just want to be real with people. And, uh, and so uh, you, you'll need to forgive me. If part of this feels unstructured. Part of this feels maybe not, uh, not 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 following through really really well, but there's just two or three things that I really felt God really pressing on my heart for this morning for us collectively. It's been uh, it's been I think it's been a good year uh, for us corporately. Uh, it's been great to welcome new life. It's been great to see people get married. It's been great to see others go on mission. I think it's worth acknowledging Robert and Lois in Zambia. It's worth acknowledging Nigel back in Greece. With those that are part of our family that have that are serving long term, there's those that have went on short term mission. If we've welcomed new interns, uh, it feels it feels corporately that, that God's been He's blessed and He's stirred and He's brought hope and um, and as we approach the this new year we want to and maybe we'll do that afterwards don't want to don't want to have too many people all crowding around Joanne with a week before giving birth we'd love us to pray for Joanne and and Neville today Um, 
But Stephen has said already, it's, uh, it's a year where there's been frustrations, there's been disappointments and all of that. And so I think I want to touch on some of that this morning. But before we do that, we're at the end of the, we're the 31st of December 2017. And, and, uh, and I just want to ask you a few questions. I'm asking for your participation. Um, sometimes we don't participate whenever it's the, like the real holy spiritual questions. But everybody seems to get involved whenever it comes to these type of questions. So I love you. I love anybody that uh, wants to participate. Please do. Um, the most watched TV show of 2017. Anybody want to take a stab? For sake, David. Blue Planet Two. Well, Blue Planet Two, most watched, most watched TV show of 2017. Anybody? Want to know? Anybody want to guess? Uh, our kids will probably play this game. Uh, most downloaded song of 2017. Ed Sheeran, thank you, Paul. Anybody want to know the the song? You didn't get the song. You got the artist. No. Shape of You. Well done. Down at the back. Points go to Jenna. Uh, the highest grossing movie, the most, the movie that made the most amount of money this year. Star Wars probably will be, but it's not. It hasn't. Uh, it hasn't got there yet. Disney movie turned into real life movie this year. Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. Uh, this year made $1.26 billion at the box office. Number two, just in case you want to know. I don't think you do. You don't look, you don't look too interested at all. Number two was uh, the, the Fast and Furious 8, or whatever, whatever the latest installment is. And the third one, uh, at $1.03 billion, was Despicable Me 3. Uh, and again, this is all very subjective, but the, the joke, the joke that won joke of the year, I'll not ask you to guess this, we'll be here all day. Joke of the year for 2017 was, I can't remember his name, but this is the joke that he came up with that was voted the most popular joke of 2017. I'm not a fan of the new pound coin, but then again, I hate all change. Wow. That is Unbelievable. My favourite one, there was, a, there was the top ten, there was a list of the top ten, and for me, my favourite one was, uh, one guy said, for me, dying is a lot like camping. I don't want to do it. And uh, finally, last one, uh, the word of the year. The word of the year, according to the Collins Dictionary. Fake news, well done, Adam. Fake news is the word of the year for 2017 and it's off the back of that that, uh, that, that I want to share the first, uh, the first point or the first thing that I really felt the Lord stir my heart with uh, over the last number of days because I've been reading through the, been reading through the, the, the gospel of John and, uh, and, just, uh, and just over the weekend I, I came was reading again through John chapter 18, 19, 20 and 21 the story of the of the crucifixion of Jesus, his his resurrection, 
his, uh, his appearing to the disciples and his reinstatement of Peter. But I was so struck, I really felt I was struck again by, by Pilate. Pilate in the, in the account of John just seems so confused. He just does not know what to do with Jesus. And there's just so much fake news. He doesn't know what to do with Jesus because there's just been so much lies. There's been so much propaganda. There's been so much things that have been said about this man that Pilate is so confused. He goes back and forth between, between fear and the Jews. He goes, he goes between, the, this man has done nothing wrong. And he just goes back and forth. He tries to appease the people and he, he's in and he's out. And it gets to um, chapter 18 and I think we get an insight into what's going on with Pilate. He's been in and out and he gets to the, sta- he gets to the, gets to the end of the whole, his whole state of confusion. And he says to Jesus, what is truth? And for me, I think that that is... That is something that I feel is being stirred among our communities and among society today. I've, I've found it incredibly interesting to see Russell Brand, the interview that Russell Brand gave to, to Relevant magazine. And in it, I don't know where Russell Brand stands, but he says that today, today the teaching of Jesus Christ has never been more relevant than it is right now. And people that have... And he goes on to talk about his own personal story, his own personal journey in addiction, his own personal experience with, with brothels, with drugs, with all of that. And says that everybody he's ever came across, they're, all of, they're, they're really searching for truth. They're searching for the teachings of Jesus. They're searching for this revolutionary message of a savior. Fascinating to hear somebody with his, popularity some with his uh, just with his his lifestyle beginning to, to say this it feels like that is the questions that the world is beginning to ask and in, in a day of incredible confusion people not knowing what to do with Jesus and then the wrestling and then the back and forth are coming to this point of saying what is truth like Pilate before Pilate asked this question, Jesus makes the comment, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And so it's wonderful for us this morning as we, as we seek, at the end of this year, as we step into a new year, we, we, more than anything, we want to we look more like Jesus. We want to increasingly know him. We want to increasingly follow his ways. We want to increasingly do what he did and say what he said and follow the the, the, the lifestyle that he lived and, and here we have this guarantee here we have the, the words of Jesus if you want to stay on the right side of truth listen to me and with so much of the example of Jesus throughout the, throughout the gospels that, that revealed us what listening to Jesus looks like what obeying Jesus means the cost of following Jesus Everyone on this, on the side of truth, listens to me. I've been, I've been uh, I'm not sure what the, 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 the headline is or the subtitle for this point is, but I, as I've been reading through the, the Gospel of John, I, I go right back to John chapter, John chapter 4. John chapter 4, where Jesus 
has just be, began his ministry, and he heals a man. He, it's, down at the, it's down at the pool, and he heals a man, but it's on the Sabbath. And Jesus seems to be, continues to pay the price for that as the days and the weeks and the months go on. As the chapters unfold, we get to chapter 7, and Jesus is still saying all of this, all of this opposition, all of this accusation, all of this, all of this fake news that you've been spreading about me is because I healed a man on the Sabbath. It's because a man was made well on your holy day. And I've just, I've, there's part of me has read through, through John 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. And there's part of me has read, there's part of me has read over the last number of weeks. I've almost found myself reading it like this. Jesus, what are you saying? Jesus, what are you doing? Do you know the trouble you're going to get yourself into as you continue to confront the religious zealots? But Jesus had committed himself to doing that. And he had committed himself to confronting the religious zealots, to confronting the Pharisees because they had completely misrepresented the Father. They had completely misrepresented his nature. And so Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath at the beginning of his ministry and is, and is just facing the, the consequences of that for the, rest of his, for the rest of his earthly ministry because he healed a man on the Sabbath. But he has committed himself to confronting religious zealots. He has committed himself to, to presenting a true representation of who the Father is and, and his true nature. Jesus is, has, is no longer willing for religious people to make it hard for the whosoever to enter the kingdom. And that's the pain, that's the wrestle, that's the, that's, that's the reason why Jesus confronts. Because they've misrepresented his nature. And because they've made it hard for people to enter into the kingdom. They've made it hard for people to, to, to receive this abundant life. They've made it hard for people to step into the wonder of grace. And so Jesus is passionate. He is so passionate about the whosoever not missing his grace. He is so passionate about the whosoever not missing his kindness. About them not missing life in the fullness. And so he confronts. And we get to John chapter 8. And in John chapter 8, after Jesus is he's right in the middle of confronting these religious people. And he turns to the Jews who have believed that he is the Messiah. He turns to the Jews who have decided that they are willing to give it all up willing to give up reputation, willing to give up, to pay the price, to, to pay the cost, to, to believe in and ultimately follow in Jesus. And Jesus turns to them and says that, uh, that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so this morning I want you to know that the truth, it's, the truth alone will not set you free. The truth will not set you free. Jesus says, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth in and of itself will not set you free. If you obey me, if you, if you are faithful to my teaching, is what Jesus said. He said it in John 8, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I love this word, know. 
This word no has become incredibly significant for me in my own personal journey, in my own personal devotion, in my own personal desire, in my own personal hunger to be more like Jesus. This word no, this word in the, in the Greek yada, and this, it's, it's a powerful word. It, it is to have personal experience through intimacy. That's what it means. You will know the truth. You will have this personal experience through intimacy. And that is what will set you free. The truth in and of itself will never be enough to set you free. It's in knowing it. It's a personal experience through intimacy. With truth. And the truth will set you free. And so there's this call to be faithful to what he has said. And so much of what I say this morning is, is, is things that you know. It's things that you, I know that you, that you wrestle with anyway. And I want to validate it. I want to validate the journey that you're on. I want to validate the questions that you're asking. Faithful to what he has said is, is, is so important. It is so much more significant than we realize. And, and as, John, as John continues to write, he gets to John 15 and we, we get an insight into the, the heart of John. We get an insight into the desires of Jesus. You want to know what it looks like being, to be faithful to what I, what I say? In John 15, it says that when you obey, when you obey, you remain. And over and over, I think it's 11, 12, 13 times maybe in, in John 15, Jesus says, remain in me. Remain in me. Dwell. Just, just rest. Just abide. And as you do that, you will obey. It, but it sort of feels like it's a, it's a mutual thing. You obey as you remain in as you abide, as you dwell. That's when you begin to obey. You, begin, you become faithful to his teaching. You have this personal experience through intimacy, and that is what will set you free. But as you, as you begin to obey, it's a sign that you are remaining. It's a sign that you are abiding. The story of John his writing continues to go on we get to John 18 and we see that, that the fake news has just completely tried to ruin Jesus, it's tried to, to scar his reputation, it's tried to scar what he came to do but Jesus pursues pursues lovingly pursues longingly and he says ultimately at the end of his life if you want to stay on the side of truth you will, you will listen to me I think there's some, some things in there for us to to wrestle with, to work out. To. Um, second thing, the second place that I want us to, I want you to think about, I want you to look at. Second Chronicles chapter thirty-four. It's the story of Josiah, King Josiah. King Josiah he was only eight years old. We're told in chapter 34 of Second Chronicles, he was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. 
in his 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles, carved idols and cast images. Follow down to verse 8. In the 18th year of Josiah, and Molotek. In verse 8, uh, in the 18th year of Josiah's reign, to purify the land and the temple, he sent uh, Shaphan, son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. Just before I make a few comments about Second Chronicles 34, um, just when I was reading, when I was reading through this chapter down at the back, just while um, while the guys were getting ready, preparing for to lead us in worship, um, I just found God, God just draw my attention to the Second Chronicles 32, and and not to dwell on this point at all for too long. But I just felt that in the story of King Hezekiah. The king of Assyria had came to invade the land that that he that the king Hezekiah was responsible for. He also had committed himself to doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And King has king the king of Assyria came and he had so much he had so much more power, he had so much more might, he had so much more dominance. But the king of King Hezekiah determined that he was not going to enter into a treaty with the enemy. He determined he was not going to. He was not going to compromise. He was not going to give the enemy what he wanted for the sake of compromise, for the sake of keeping safe, for the sake of remaining comfortable. And so he he made the commitment that he was going to stand firm. He was going to believe that the Lord our God is with us to help us to fight our battles. And a word a word comes from the messengers of the of the king of Assyria. And it was just this verse 10 in, in chapter 32 that struck me. And I don't know whether it's for all of us. Part of me felt it was for a few. But I feel as you make that commitment to, to not compromise. Because for some of us in the room, there is a, at the minute there is a, a temptation to compromise. There is a temptation to cave. Because if we cave, life will be easier. Things will be easier. We'll have comfort. We'll have safety. But it'll have, it'll have cost us something. And even though it, it, it looks crazy not to, not to compromise, it looks like you're, how are you going to make it through this? You're gonna, people are going to look at you and ask the question that the messengers asked King Hezekiah and his people. On what are you basing your confidence on what are you basing your confidence? And there's, I think there's some people in the room that you're going to live in such a way, in such a counter-cultural way, in such a faithful way to the, to, the, to the teachings of Jesus, to the ways of Jesus, when it seems crazy to those that are outside. But even those on the outside will, will still ask, what are you basing your confidence on? How can you remain so confident when all that's going on around you Whenever you have an opportunity to get out of this, whenever you have an opportunity to, for comfort and safety, you're not taking it. On what are you basing your confidence? There's going to be something about your testimony in this year, in this season, 
that people are going to be attracted to and inspired by and ask that question of your life. What is it that you're basing your confidence? But to go back to Josiah, Josiah chapter, Josiah in chapter 34, I, I just was struck by Josiah on a personal level because the temptation for us, the temptation I think for all of us as we, as we come to the end of the year and start into a new year, we inevitably take stock, but what we so often do, what I so often do, is that we rush to make a quick fix. We, we rush to make the, the, the rash commitments. We make the big statements. And, and sometimes they work out really well, and for some, that your personality will, will allow for that. But for me, I find myself going for the quick fix never works. Making the rash commitment to change never works. And I think... King Josiah set down some markers. And I think I might be touching this last year. Forgive me if I'm repeating myself. Uh, if you do, even if you did remember. But at the end of, uh, in the, in, right at the beginning of his, of his reign, right at the beginning of his life, it feels like Josiah is just, he's not rushing. He's not going to make a rash commitment or a quick fix. But he has committed himself to setting down some markers. And the markers that he sets down as we follow on his life. And, and I'm not necessarily saying take as long as Josiah took. But whenever he was still young, when he was eight years into his reign, he, he set down a marker and he began to seek God. He began to seek God, the God of his father, David. He made a commitment that he's, he was going to, to follow the testimony he was, going to, he was going to live the life of faith and obedience that he'd, that he'd heard about, that he'd seen lived out. And he set down a marker. And he knew there was lots more needed change. He knew there was a lot, more, a lot more work that needed done in him and in the nation that he was called to lead. But he set down a marker and he began to seek God. He began to seek the Father. He set down a marker. We're told in the 12th year, a few years later, he sets down another marker. And he sets the marker that he is going to purge the land. He is going to purge the land of every idol, of every, of, of every false image, of every false picture of, of who God is. He made a commitment. He set down a marker. He began to clean up the areas of idolatry. He began to, get, to clean up those areas of distraction. And we talked, about, we talked a lot about that in our series through the book of Judges. But I'm encouraging you through the story of Josiah, you would set down a marker. You set down the marker that I'm going to begin to seek God, whoever that looks for you. And then you would begin to set down the next marker. After I've done that, I'm going to begin to, to, to clean up those areas of idolatry. I'm going to clean up those areas that have my attention more than he does. I'm going to clean up those areas that just continue to take my distraction. I'm going to set that as my next marker. And then in the 18th year, and I don't want you to take as long as this. I don't want you to take 18 years to get here. But in the 18th year of his reign, he decided that now he would begin to purify. Now he would, the places that had been cleaned out, he would come and, and bring the purity and the holiness and the, and the goodness of God to his life and to his family and to the nation that he was called to lead. That's why I think King Josiah set down some realistic markers. The temptation is right, right now at the, at, the, at, the, at the cusp of a new year, we say, right, this, I'm going to change everything. This all needs purified. But I think for some of us, we just need to say, 
I'm going to sit for the next few months. I'm just going to begin to seek him. And then I'm going to begin to clean up those areas of distraction. And then I'm just going to go for purity and holiness. And it doesn't have to be as clinical as that. But I'm encouraging you that you would set down some markers. And it's a story of chapter 30. I love Second Chronicles chapter 34. As it gets, as the, as the story goes on and as, and as God's eye begins to go to and fro across the whole earth, seeking those, looking out for those whose hearts are set on him, I think his eye goes to King Josiah. And King Josiah gets a word from the Lord. He gets a word from the prophetess, a woman prophet. Praise the Lord. And the, the woman prophet comes with a word of encouragement, with a word of blessing to King Josiah and, and, and encourages him. And tells him that the markers that you've set in place, I'm, I'm honoring that. I've seen that. And, and, and the prophetess gets a word from the Lord that says, because your heart was respons- responsive and you humbled yourself before God, when you, when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. And I think there's something beautiful whenever we begin to, to set out those markers and be faithful to the, the commitments that we've made. We'd be faithful to the things that we've said that we, would, that we will do. And the word comes from the Lord to encourage, to say your heart has been responsive you have humbled yourself. And it's not necessarily saying that all it's not necessarily saying that, that all the idols are rid of. It's not necessarily saying that there's been there's been complete purity that has swept through the land. But what he's acknowledging, what the Father wants to acknowledge in this moment is that your heart has been responsive and you have humbled yourself. And so I'd encourage that and give you the same encouragement today. The same word from the prophetess that that even whenever you're still wrestling with those areas of distraction, even when you're still wrestling with those areas where you lack some form of purity, but God would still see that your heart is responsive, that you're hungry, that you, are, that you have humbled yourself before him. And in verse 31, there's this renewing of the covenant in the presence of the Lord. And so I don't know if it's my word for, for the year. But what, is, what has struck me over the last couple of weeks, over the last two or three weeks, is the idea of covenant. And I've realized, I've realized over the last few weeks, I don't think I fully understand or fully grasp the weight of covenant. What, how committed the Father is to covenant. And he made it with, with Abraham. He set his people free and he gave them the promised land and they still, they still prostituted themselves. They still, they still give themselves away. But God, and, and we read it in Jeremiah 31, we read it in Isaiah that over and over he renews the covenant. He's so committed to his people. He is so committed to covenant. And, and so for me, as we come to, the, to a new year, my prayer is, God, would you, would you give me greater understanding of of covenant, will you give me greater insight to what it what it means to be to be one to be one part of this this covenant, this covenant you have made that I would be that something would happen me that happened here, King Josiah that in the presence of the Lord there would be a renewal of covenant, a renewal of covenant. We get this, we get the Jeremiah. So I wanted us to see uh, Jesus and 
his example in John in John's Gospel. I wanted us to see King Josiah in Second Chronicles thirty four. And then there's a couple of things that I want to finish with in Jeremiah chapter thirty one. If you're familiar with with the narrative of the Old Testament at all, you'll know how much how much they continue to turn from God, how much they, they continue to turn from from his ways. He continues to pursue, he lovingly pursues. And in Jeremiah thirty one, this is what this this is what the message version says of Jeremiah thirty one. Verse 20, Ephraim is my dear son, my child in whom I take pleasure. In spite of all that Ephraim had done, they'd give themselves to idolatry. They they had become as wicked as the nations around them. But this covenant maker, this covenant keeper, he comes with a word and says, Ephraim, my dear son, Ephraim, the one, the child in whom I take delight, or the message version, my child in whom I take pleasure. Listen to this. Every time I mention his name, my heart bursts with longing for him. Everything in me cries out for him. Softly and tenderly, I wait for him. And we were at an event on we were at an event during the week. And I just and I just think that today in the church that we need to become more comfortable with the idea that his love towards us is reckless. It's overwhelming. I had a conversation with a good friend who loves Jesus, absolutely loves Jesus, but there's something with, within him that just that that almost resists the idea of of language, of of reckless language, of reckless love, of overwhelming love. But I read the story of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, knowing what Ephraim has done, knowing how far Ephraim has turned, and yet still hearing the Father's heart. Ephraim, every time I think of you, my heart bursts with longing that you would that you would come into that place that I long for you to come into. And so whenever I think of the words in, in Romans, in line with some of the things that people think about themselves, it, it, it causes real emotion to stir in me. Because there is no condemnation for those that are in Jesus and the and, and the amount of people that, that that are in relationship with Jesus that live in condemnation. It absolutely tears me apart. And I can't imagine what it does to the heart of the Father. I can't imagine what it does to, to Jesus. As we see, he's not, willing to, he's not willing to justify their behavior. He's not willing that there's no consequences to what they've done. Because there is. But all along, it's that we, see, we get an insight into his heart here. Every time I mention his name, my heart bursts with longing. Everything in me says the Father cries out for him softly and tenderly. I wait for him. And then he goes on, and this is, this is what I wanted to get to, 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 to line up with what I said in, around King Josiah. Verse 21, set up road signs, put up guideposts, take note of the highway, the road that you take. And here it is, here it is, that, that reminder of what I've said in the story of King Josiah. And I'm encouraging you, maybe you're, maybe you're 
different than most. You're, you can make a big statement, a huge commitment at the start of a year, and that's brilliant. Go for it. But for some of us, I'm wanting to suggest that you set up some markers. You set up some guideposts that will lead you on the way, that will lead you on the road that you want to take. Take note of that road. That's what the, the Jeremiah says. Take note of that road. Take note of the road that you're going to take. But set up road signs. Set up guideposts that are going to help you along the way. And as it comes to the end of, of chapter 31, we again have language that, that has already been touched on. That, that there would be a rebuilding of the broken down places. And that there would be a replanting of the places that have been uprooted. And I'd encourage you to read Second Chronicles 34. I'd encourage you to read Jeremiah 31. Because I think for, for some of us, the, the, the change, the taking stock, it doesn't fill us with, with expectation. It doesn't fill us with the anticipation of some people maybe sitting around us. Because it feels like there is too many broken down places. But the prophet comes, the word of the Lord comes. And I'm encouraging you to be faithful to his teaching. And what his teaching says is that those places that have been broken down, I will rebuild. And for some of us in the room, that as, we, as, we, as we've come to the end of 2017, it feels like everything's been uprooted. And the word of the Lord is something to say to those that feel like everything around them has been uprooted. And there is a replanting, the Lord says. I will replant those places, those areas that have been uprooted. And there is a rebuilding of the broken down places. There is a replanting of the places that have been uprooted. I want to encourage you with that. And there is a renewal of covenant. And as Jeremiah 31 continues, those beautiful verses in 31, verses 31 to 34, there is this renewal of the covenant where he, where he makes this commitment to his people that no longer is the law going to be uh, just on tablets of stone it's going to be written on your heart because he's so committed to the renewal of the covenant and so as we have come to the end of as we come to the end of this year as we come to the end of some of these things that I want to that I want to say let me make a, f- a few quick points to finish I'd love you to think of the story of Jesus and John I'd love you to think of the story of Josiah in Second Chronicles 34 I love you to think of some of the words of uh, Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31. But the reality is, I think f- some of us need to hear this. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over again and expecting a different result. And as we approach the end of this year, if, if you are not willing to set up some sort of marker, and it just doesn't have to be the end of the year, it can be any time, it can be in the middle of February, it can be whenever. There needs to be this ongoing setting of markers, this, this setting of, the, of guideposts. Because if we think that we're going to grow in faith, if we think we're going to abide and dwell and remain in him by just doing the same thing, it, it, it's, it's almost the definition of insanity. If you think you're going to do the same thing, if you think you're going to do the same patterns of behavior, prioritize the same things, live with the same level of desire, live with the same level of hunger, 
and expect a different result, then it's not going to happen. I don't, really, I don't want to use offensive language, but it's, it's crazy to think that anything different is going to happen. And so I want, I need, I need you to know, I need to know this, there needs to be hunger. As we approach a new year, as we approach potentially a new season, as we begin to, to begin to pray and believe that God wants to rebuild and replant, there needs to be a hunger. And I'm longing in this room, I'm longing in the church in general that there's a hunger for the things of God like never before. There's a, there is a hunger for faithfulness to his teaching, a hunger for his ways, a hunger for his kingdom to come like never before. And there's some things for me that need to, to change. I've realized that, that there's, there, is, there is power in habits. And I've been encouraged that people, again, not, not, not to place any guilt in anybody that hasn't followed along with the, with the, Advent, um, the Advent devotional on WhatsApp, but, but it's been encouraging to hear people engaging with that. And for me, what's been the most significant thing for me in, in the last 31 days is seeing the power of habit. And that's what, I'm do, that's what I want to do as approaching New Year. It's not, it's not to, to think about resolutions, but to, to rethink habits. And for me, 31 days of making that commitment that before I do anything, before I look at my phone, before I look at what I missed on the BBC News, before I look at what I missed on social media, it's just become normal. It's just become a habit that before I do anything, I'm going to the Word. Before I do anything, I'm praying that prayer. Father, I pray that I would enter this day as your son entered the world full of love and full of hope. It's become, it's become a habit. It's become something that's become really important to me. And those technological, technology habits for me, I've realized that the screens have become default for me. And I think if most of us are willing to be honest, there's something about screens that have become our default. And so before we even engage our brains, before we begin to even think, our default is phone, our default is TV, our default is iPad. And I'm not looking to go on a rant about technology. I'm not wanting to do that. And it doesn't apply to everybody. But what I have realized for me and for family life, I need to be intentional about activities. Because... Because I will, I, I've, I become aware that my default is the screen. If I'm not intentional, I will go to the screen. I will go to the phone. I will go to the TV. And so I want to encourage you and suggest to you that, that actually we need to become intentional about activities. My commitment to family is I'm going to be intentional about family activities. What I've, lo- what I've loved seeing in, in, in the kids is that their default has become screens. Most of us that have kids know that, that their default is now screen. The minute they wake up in the morning, it's screen. If, we, if there's nothing else provided for them, if there's no al- the other alternative screen technology is where they go to. But I've realized that once, if I provide an alternative, if as a family we provide an alternative by going somewhere or doing something, the kids have no interest in screen. There's no, no interest in their phone. There's no interest in the PS4. There's no interest in any of it if we provide an alternative, because there's, there's something natural within them just wants to be outside, wants, them, wants to be involved in something. And, uh, and so that's a challenge for me. The challenge for me is, is this sounds going to sound like a real, you're, what is wrong with you? But I've even found that having fun, you need to be intentional with having fun, because we've been so left numb 
by some of our technology habits that we have to be intentional about having fun. And so it doesn't sound very spiritual. As I come to the end of the year, it's one of the things that I'm going to write down in that list. I'm making a point that this year I'm going to have fun. In some ways, it's sad that you have to become intentional about that. For some, it's, it's really just, it's really natural. And at times it is natural for me. I don't want to paint myself as some sort of boring little man. But I found that if I'm going to have fun, I need to make a point of it. Otherwise, I'll stick my nose in a phone or whatever. I'm, I'm pursuing, I'm pursuing deal, my, my daily actions. I'm looking at my daily actions and my daily attitudes. Because so often we want, we want the big answers. We want the answers to the big questions around, for those that are single, around marriage. It's come the end of the year. We make the big prayers around our education, our marriage, or what place we're going to live. But actually, the, I think the priorities need to be reversed. We need to make a point of the daily activities, the daily attitudes. And so pursuing connection, and I've said this before, pursuing connection with the, with the lady at the till in the supermarket. I want to make that a point. I can go after the big things and the big stories, but actually I want to be a better neighbor. I want to be a better, I want to be a better person. I want to be a better customer in the shop. And so those daily attitudes and actions are so important. I want to encourage you that you would set habits in community. So much of your resolution, so much of the, the things that you're going to make a commitment to change are going to be done by yourself. But I want to encourage you that you would set habits within community. You need each other. We need each other in every, part of, in every part of life. And so this area of our life is no different. As we take stock, as we rethink New Year, that is... Uh, my encouragement to you that you would set habits in community, acknowledging that we need each other. Paul's exhortation was that we would keep living this way together. And then finally, there's this word that I haven't been able to get out of my head. And I finish with this. And I always thought it was a sporting term, but actually it was coined by a, a, by a financial expert. And it's just been going over in my, in my mind, and I never really, I probably never knew what it fully meant, but it's the, the, the term is skin in the game. For me, I, I felt like God saying, it's time to get some skin in the game. And it was, a, it was a financial investor that coined the term. And he coined it because he was calling people to, to, to take a risk. He was talk, calling people to take a risk because you have invested in something that you want to see happen. And that's what it means to have skin in the game. That you would take a risk because you have invested in something that you want to see happen. It's the idea of taking ownership of something. As I read through the, the last few chapters of John, I see that that is the longing, the desire of Jesus. That we would take ownership. He comes to the end of his life and he turns to the disciples and says, As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. It's now time for you to get your skin in the game. It's now time for you to take ownership. It's now time for you to take some responsibility. It's now time for you to take a risk because you have invested in something that you want to see happen. And so skin in the game is a personal investment, whether your time, your money, your concern, or whatever it is in the pursuit of a goal. And so, uh, so yeah, let's f- finish there. There's loads more that I feel like... I plan to say, but would you stand? Would you stand with me as Judith comes and leads us? And all I want to do as as we finish is that we would 
that we would go back to that place in Second in Chronicles 34, towards the end, where there is a renewal of covenant in the presence of the Lord. And so um, that's what I would love us to do. I'm not going to ask you to. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I know there's there's uh, there's visitors and there is, but just the, the people that are standing to your right and your left. You don't have to put hands on them. You don't have to do anything that you don't want to do. But just in this moment, you would pray your best prayer for the person to your right and to your left. If you want to. If you feel like God's saying something, let them know. But why don't, why don't you do that just for a moment while Judith plays? Just take a moment to pray for the people that are around you. I love it that we leave this place today, that somebody has prayed for us, that the people around us have prayed that there would be that renewal of covenant in the presence of the Lord. And so if you would, would you just take a minute to take a minute to do that?